You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. All right, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We began our new sermon series last Sunday through the Gospel of John, which we're calling Come and See that you may believe and have life in Jesus. Uh, This gospel is an invitation to to come and see Jesus, to come and behold him, to marvel at him, to value and treasure him more deeply, to love him with greater affections. John, John invites us to come and share in the joy of knowing Jesus and, and be reminded of the overwhelming joy and privilege it is to be known by Jesus, to be known by Him. With that said, if you would follow along in your Bibles as I read, beginning in verse 19, we'll be in verses 19 through 28 today. Last last week we were in verses 1 through 18, and it was just this going into the depths almost just the word that existed before eternity and just what that looked like and just drawing that out. It was was kind of almost like heavy trailing, right? Just walking through that. Today is almost the opposite. Simple. Very simple. So unique how John would go from, from the depths of eternity to then, let me just show you something simply beautiful. So follow along with me as I begin reading in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So he, they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Verse 24. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am, not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come and we confess to you that we are a needy little people. We are in great need, Lord. We come distracted. We come with burdens upon our hearts, Lord. We come with sins entangling us. We need you. 
Lord, do your good work. As we open your word, we know this is your word, the word that existed since before eternity passed, became flesh and spoke and created and made so that then we could have a word, your word, here to read today. So, Lord, we pray that as we listen and hear your, for your voice through your word, Lord, may you feed your sheep. May you care and tend to your sheep. May you encourage and strengthen your sheep. May you correct your sheep. May you reorient your sheep who are distracted. Point us the right direction. Point our eyes and our hearts and our minds towards you that we may know you as John invites us, that we may know you more deeply and treasure you more deeply and love you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lead us now. Speak to us through your word. Encourage and do your good work that your church may be built and that you may be exalted above all things. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church says, Amen. Amen. Nearly every night before we go to, to bed, we have what we call family worship time. We're, we sing and pray, and usually we uh, will read or tell a story to our girls. And one story that they love is a story called Full Moon Rising. And it's full as in F-O-O-L, like a foolish moon. It's a cosmic story about a moon who was stealing glory. The story begins with the moon shining his light on everyone at night so that they can see and and him bragging about how it was his great might that caused the darkness to flee. He bragged that he could cause the tides of the ocean to rise and fall. This, this little moon thought to himself just how important he is in the grand scheme of the universe, that, that where would the world be without him? This little moon was a, was a proud little moon. He even begins to brag to other planets and stars. He says, look at what I can do. I am the most glorious light of all. Until. Until an even brighter and more glorious light pierces the darkness of the universe and shines in his eyes. And he realizes that he isn't the brightest and most glorious light in the universe. The sun is actually the brightest and most glorious light. And he realizes that the light that he was shining was not his own light. He was only reflecting the more glorious light of the sun. And so from, from that day on, that proud little moon became a humble and happy little moon who knew just how small he was compared to the sun and knew he was nothing without the sun and how all he was designed to do and live for was to reflect the glory of the sun. And so that the joy of that moon went from being misplaced joy of, of self until no longer making much of himself and in a joy of reflecting 
the glory of the sun. I love these closing words of the book. It's a sweet book. So now each night, a new delight is what he loves the most. Reflecting light with all his might, the sun is now his boast. So good. Recommend it if you're a parent. I recommend it. If you're not a parent yet, go ahead and buy it and have it for 10 years or so. That way it's at the ready for you, okay? (laughs) We heard last week in the introduction of the Gospel of John that Jesus coming into a sin-stricken world is like the light of life coming into a darkened and dead world. That Jesus himself is the very light of the universe, the, the great Son of God. S-O-N, just in case you were following there. The great Son of God who shines brightly and beautifully in the darkness and pierces the darkened hearts and minds of people, awakening them to know Him and love Him. And one theme in the Gospel of John is that those who witness this great light and come to receive this great light and to know this great light, they are overcome by it and overwhelmed with humble gladness and live to be witnesses or reflectors of this light of Christ. He, Christ, becomes their new delight. He is what they love most, reflecting His light with all their might. God the Son is now their boast. Knowing Him is their humble boast. Just tuck that away in your heart. Knowing Him is their boast. And as we see this in the Gospel of John, we are freshly reminded of that in which we exist for. We have been given life in Jesus to then live to point others to Jesus. Knowing Him becomes the boast of our life. Is he the boast of your life? Knowing him, John beckons us to come. Come and know him that he may become the boast of your life. Whether you're single and you're worried about what your future has for you who who just who you know what i'm at who is that gonna be where do i go is jesus the boast of your life whether you're married you're parenting you have home All things seem to be going well. White picket fence in the front yard. Is Christ the boast of your life? Not that white picket fences are bad. Just know that. If you have a white picket fence, I'm sorry. No no judgment there. Whether you're parenting, grandparenting, suffering, you're in weakness, You're waiting, you're old, you're young, you're aging, your body's failing, whatever you may be, is Christ the boast of your life? Is the joy of knowing Him your greatest joy? 
If you have been given life in Jesus, you never have to question or wonder what you exist for in the stage of life in which you find yourself. You now exist to point to Christ as a witness. Knowing Him is to be the humble boast of your life. Oh my, in parenting, I so often forget this. I think as if I'm the boast of the life. Like, obey me. You need to do what I say right now. Or my kids are not doing what they're supposed to do. A church is waiting for you to walk up to the front because your child is getting something, a toy or something. And you're sitting there wondering. You begin to wonder, oh, what are people going to think of me? As if I'm the boast of of our home. No, I exist to point my children to Christ. and To boast in Him every day. Over and over and over and over and over again. You don't have to wonder why you exist. Recognizing we are these undeserving little, little ones. And yet rejoicing in his glorious grace and his might. So question, do, is Christ knowing him and making him known? Is, is he the boast of your life? What do you think about most? What do you want most in this season? I just want sleep, maybe. Maybe that's it. I just want sleep. What, are you, what is at the forefront of your heart and mind? What are you longing for? What are you desiring? And ask yourself, as you draw the lines of connections to your heart, is Christ the boast of my life? Is He what I want? Is He what I treasure? Is He what I long for? And do I live to make him known? I think that, that is the simple intention behind today's verses. To to show us that for those who come to know Christ, the humble boast of their life is nothing but Christ. Knowing him more deeply, making him known more fully, they, they're not trying to draw attention to themselves. They're not trying to gain a following for themselves. They want to know Christ and make Christ known. And we see this beautifully displayed as John, the writer of the gospel, introduces us to another John, John the Baptist, or as the gospel of John will often refer to, John the Witness. We're going to see John live to know nothing but Christ. And make Christ known in two, two points today. We're going to just move through the scripture in two, two points. First, as Jewish leaders ask about the greatness of John. They're concerned about his greatness. They're concerned, how great is he? Who are you? We want to know who you are. How, who, what great person are you supposed to be? And then two, as John points to the greatness of Jesus. It just makes me choke up even saying that. So first, Jewish leaders ask about the greatness of John, verses 19 through 22. We heard a little whisper of this John the witness last week in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. It was a foreshadowing of what we would see more fully of him doing here today and in the coming chapters as well in the Gospel of John. Verses 6 through 8 said this, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. 
He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Throughout history, there have been groups of people who have revered John the witness, revered him, believing him to be be the last great prophet, and that since him there has been none other like him, including Jesus. There are people who believe that even after John the Baptist or John the witness, that there was none other like him, including that of Jesus. They have an incredibly high view of John, yet an incredibly low view of Jesus. There are even people to this day who hold to these views. John, the writer of the gospel, seems to go through great links to make sure that we see the humility of John the witness and his desire to make much of Jesus. We are a people, just humanity in itself, because we're idle, we're, we are these little idol factories, right? We love to hold people in great esteem. We really do. We are quick to assign greatness to people when we shouldn't. I, I saw this online. There was a, a guy a while back who, who wanted to just do, to see how people would respond. And so he hired other bigger guys. This guy was a little guy. He hired other bigger guys to dress up as bodyguards and go with him to New York and walk through the street and act as if he was somebody and see how people responded. It is amazing. People just had a hint that this guy was somebody with these bodyguards walking around. And this guy was just some Joe Schmo, anybody working down the street, church's chicken tight, like just doing his thing. And he's walking down the street and, and, and people take notice and begin, whoa, 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 whoa. And they, they start coming and, and all of a sudden crowds are coming and they're gathering around. They're following him. They're wanting some of this, the greatness of this guy. Who is, how is he great? I want to know and I want to be a part of it. It's amazing. They started interviewing people. Oh, do you, do you like his music? Oh, I love his music. Have you, do you like his movies? They asked another person. Uh, yes. Oh, it's, he was great in that one. Yeah. They don't even know the guy, but yet how quick they are to assign greatness to someone who doesn't deserve it, essentially. Maybe not even asking for it. Now, it's interesting because Jesus himself in Matthew 11, verse 11, said this. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John. But Jesus didn't say that so that we would in turn worship John. That statement goes hand in hand with what we see of John's character. And it helps us to see God's view of true greatness in this world. What is God's view of true greatness? When you look at the life of John, he makes no claim to fame of his own. He's constantly redirecting the attention to those who who come, come to him towards Jesus. 
He does it over and over and over again, almost as saying, stop looking at me and look at him. True greatness in the eyes of God is the humble heart that wants to redirect any attention from itself and wants nothing more than to direct that attention towards Jesus himself. That's what God calls great. And that's what we see in John the witness. John is doing ministry outside of uh, Jerusalem across the Jordan River, which had symbolic overtones for the Jewish people. It was believed that there would be a coming Messiah or Christ, an, an anointed one of God, who would come and be a mighty deliverer of God's people from the rule and reign of foreign kings and kingdoms. That this Christ would come like a great one of, of Moses or, or Joshua who would lead his people sort of through a new exodus out of the exile wilderness of wanderings of being oppressed by pagan nations and lead them into a new conquest of the land where they would rule and reign. And so they were looking for someone who spoke with authority as, as one sent from God, but who would be a warrior leader, someone great. From Acts chapter 5 in church history, we understand that prior to John, there were several people, several men who would sort of rise up claiming to be the Christ. And doesn't that still happen today? Rise up claiming to be the Christ, stirring up many people, and they would lead those people out to cross over the Jordan River as Joshua and God's people did in the conquest. If you remember, when they stepped into the water and the water split open, God showed that he was with them in this. But, but as these wannabe Christ lead the people out of Jerusalem over to the, to, to the Jordan River, these people, they're crossing over. No signs of wonder and glory and majesty are happening. And ultimately, those men lost their following or found their ruin through death in a failed rebellion. Acts chapter 5 speaks of some guys like that and church history speaks of guys doing that. And so here is John doing ministry in the wilderness across the river from Jerusalem. And so the people, just like the crowds in New York, people, oh, is this our deliverer? Is he going to cross over the Jordan and lead us through a new conquest and exodus? Is this him? So we know from reading other gospels, people from all over the region come come flocking out. There is much buzz about John. And so the religious leaders of the city send out representatives to question John. And they ask him questions six times in these verses about who he is and what he's doing. Notice that. Notice that as even I love how the Lord pieces together his word as you read through the word, as you're doing your, your daily readings. Don't just like don't just like fly through. them. I know that's the temptation. You know, I got to get done. No, see how God has even pieced together his word. Last week, he started his gospel highlighting the glory of God in, for eternity. And then he he almost shifts here. He shifts here and. I want, you to, I want to show you almost where the focus of the hearts of the religious leaders and people were at that time. 
They're looking to this man. But yet here's this eternal one coming. He's kind of setting a tone there, a stage there for us to say, oh my, oh my, we're going to unpack that. Their first question, they just flat out ask, who are you? (laughs) Who are you? And it says, John confessed and did not deny, but confessed. And so it's supposed to be this adamant confession. I'm not not playing games here. I'm going to make sure you know who I am not. You ask me who I am, but let me tell you who I am not. I am not the Christ. He knew exactly what they were asking. He knew exactly what they're looking for. He knew what the people were looking for. And immediately there's something different about John from those others who came before him. They claimed to be somebody, enjoyed the people following them. They led people to believe they were the deliverer of the Christ. Yet he confesses immediately, I am not the Christ. These religious leaders, they they know there is something about John. And so they ask their second question in verse 21. What what then? Are you Elijah? Are you the very important Elijah? Elijah was important to these religious leaders because if you remember, Elijah was used mightily by God in the Old Testament. And he preached often against sin, calling the people, especially leaders of God's people, to repent of and turn away from their sin and turn to the Lord. He was one of few who didn't die in the Bible. If you remember, God took him in a fiery chariot. And and one of the last books of the Old Testament, Malachi, said in Malachi 4, verse 5, that God would send Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so the people were looking for a literal Great Elijah to return before the Messiah. And John did have striking similarities to Elijah. In the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us that John, just like Elijah, was calling the people to repent, especially the leaders of God's people. And on top of that, they looked the same. Matthew describes John as wearing a camel hair garment with a leather belt across his waist. And then Elijah is described in 2 Kings. It says this, It's basically the same thing. He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. But John says, I am not Elijah. Now, from what we can tell about John the witness, and especially in the gospel of John, is John is pursuing to walk in just this unrelenting humility before the Lord. We don't know if he knew fully how the importance in which God was calling him to fulfill Old Testament roles and functions. We don't know if he even fully understood or knew. If he did, he was, his humility was unmatched. Jesus would tell us in Matthew 11, verses 13 through 14, that John actually is Fulfilling the great role of Elijah. So John very well could have said, yes, okay, you know what? I'm not the Christ, but I am somebody. You know, remember Elijah? Remember his greatness? You're looking at him. The temptation would have been that. Precious saints, I know we might hear that and say, no, that's kind of silly. No. No, aren't all men tempted 
towards great pride, especially men or people with status, with a role, with a function? How many pastors lose their role and function because all of a sudden they think something of themselves? Because they get to do this for 40 minutes once a week. All of a sudden they're big time. The Gospel of Luke speaks of John in this way, verses chapter 1 verses 14 through 17. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. This incredibly humble one on earth yet great before the Lord and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Everyone was looking for a literal Elijah to come back, but instead God sent John in the spirit and power of Elijah. So so right away, we begin to get these hints in the Gospel of John. We're starting to get, get these hints here that God is going to fulfill his great and grand plans and purposes, but in ways people are probably not expecting. He's going to use unexpected people. He's going to use unexpected means. He's going to turn people's understanding of greatness upside down as the kingdom of heaven meets earth in the person and work of Christ himself. The gospel of John is broken up, almost uh, this understanding, it's broken up into two books or two parts. The first half is, is the book of signs. And it shows Jesus over and over again doing these signs to show who he is in glory and splendor. But the second half is called the book of glory. And it begins with Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Right towards the beginning of of them wanting to plot to kill Jesus. And yet Jesus goes and on his way to the cross, he washing dirty, stinky feet of disciples. And this Passion Week and there's. There's this incredible humbling of the great one as he enters upon, lets himself be put upon a cross. Yet he's the great one of God. From chapter one, John wants to begin to give us hints. Greatness in the eyes of God is turning our understanding of greatness upside down. They're coming to John. Are you the great one? Are you him? John says, no, no. They go, they go on. Verse 21, are you the prophet? Not a prophet. Are you the prophet? Referring to this promise of Deuteronomy 18, that God would send a great prophet, the great prophet, one like Moses to lead and speak on behalf of God to God's people. But John says, no, no, I'm not. 
Then who are you? They ask. Give us an answer. What do you say about yourself? And that leads us to our second point. John points to the greatness of Jesus. Verses 23 through 28. John replies in verse 23, I am a voice. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Who, who am I? I am just a little, little tiddly bit voice. You can't even see a voice. You don't look at a voice. You just hear it. You can't admire it like you would just glaring at somebody. I'm just a voice. Just one in the middle of nowhere. Just one in the wilderness. Nobody great. Don't be concerned with me. You keep looking at me. You want to know who I am, but I am just a little voice announcing the coming of a truly great one. No one tends to care much about the worker preparing the road for the king. And yet that's what John says of himself. I'm just a nobody voice preparing the way for the king. John quotes from Isaiah 40 when he says, make straight the way of the Lord. And the connection there, connection there is, has these beautiful, Overtones In Isaiah 40, Isaiah was declaring sweet good news to God's disobedient people, announcing that God would deliver them out of their captivity and exile to Babylon. And, and these very words that John is quoting, Isaiah said them, commanding the people to prepare themselves for the Lord's coming. Prepare a way for him and his triumphal entry because he is coming and he is going to redeem them from captivity and bring about an exodus out of exile and lead them home. Little did they know the one in whom John was preparing. The Lord himself was coming to, to redeem them from captivity, not to earthly kingdoms, at least not yet, but to redeem them from captivity to the slave and bondage of sin. So here he is at the Jordan River, awaiting the one who's coming. Prepare the way. Prepare the way he's coming. The religious leaders don't quite make the connection of what John is indeed announcing. And that's another theme that we will see throughout this gospel, that there will be this theme of misunderstanding. Some will hear and know and say yes. Others will hear and not hear. They'll be confused and perplexed and misunderstand So they respond to John in verse 25. They're not, they're not concerned with where John quoted. If they would con be concerned with what John said, they would say, okay, where is he? Where is the coming of the Lord? Where, when, where should we be looking for him? But they're not concerned with that. They're blinded. They say, okay, if you, they're still looking at John, if you are a nobody, 
with no authority, then why are you baptizing people and calling them to wash themselves for purification and repent of sin? And John just redirects them. <laughs> it's almost as if you, it's kind of, it's almost, it is almost comical. You can almost see him just, he, they keep wanting to know, tell us, tell us you, tell us about you. And he just constantly, unrelentingly says, no, I want you, I, I want you to know who I am not. And I want to point you another direction. It's sad because these ones, these ones, John is, is baptizing people saying, be ready, the, the king is coming. And yet they're concerned with his authority to be able to baptize. John responds. Not only is the king coming, but in verse 26, he is already among you. He is already here. The one who I am announcing, the one who I am preparing the way for. Not only is he coming, but he is among you, standing among the people, but you do not know him. God is arriving Yet these religious ones can't even see it. I think, sadly, the same thing that was happening then is still happening today. There are those who claim to be God fears. I know some of them, some of them in my family. Oh, yeah, I know God. Yeah, I go to church. But nothing about their lives is looking to Christ. Yeah, I show up on Easter. Yeah, I'll tack on love is patient, love is kind on my wall. But nothing about their life shows I love this precious Savior. I'm looking to him. How scary and how sad that the most religious ones of the day could be in the very presence of God himself and not know it. J.C. Ryle, I love reading J.C. Ryle. He, He said this, I think it's fitting. He says, it is a solemn thought that John the Baptist's words in this place apply to thousands in the present day. Christ is still standing among many who neither see nor know nor believe. Money and pleasure in the world they know, but they know not Christ. The kingdom of God is close to them, but they sleep. Salvation is within their touch, but they sleep. Mercy, grace, peace, heaven, and eternal life are so near that they might touch them. And yet they sleep. Christ stands among them, and they know him not. John tells us what it's like to know him. Verse 27. This one among you, listen to his description. The strap of his sandal, I am not worthy to untie. Historically, a disciple of a rabbi 
or a teacher who would commit themselves not only to learning from their teacher, but taking care of the needs of their teacher. So they would almost commit themselves as a, as a student servant, taking care of all their needs as they learned from them. But the one thing that was considered too low for disciples to do, the one thing they were not expected to do was touch or take care of their rabbi's dirty sandals. That dirty and humiliating task was only done by the lowest untouchables of servants. And John says, I'm not even worthy to do that. That's how great the one among you The one who's coming and is here, that's how great he is. I'm not even worthy to take off his sandals and clean his dirty feet. That's how great he is. And how little am I compared to him? He is so great and so worthy of honor and praise that I am not even worthy to be the lowest of his servants. I don't even deserve to unstrap his dirty sandal. If you only knew his greatness, you would... Stop looking to me and asking, who am I? And run to him and say, oh, who are you? John, if you, if you knew who this was among you, you would stop looking to me and look to him. John's greatest joy I think it's a simple passage in a way. It's deep. There's richness there. There's themes of Exodus there. Beautiful. Which means even more in the following passage in verse 29 when John looks the next day and says, Behold the Lamb of God who has come. Take away the sins of the world. It's a new Exodus. The Lamb has been provided. The presence of God with them. John's greatest joy is not being known by the crowds of people or recognized for his good works or his knowledge, but his greatest joy is that Christ knows him and that he knows Christ. Jesus is the greatest treasure and delight and and he holds the greatest value and worth to John. What I love, it it wasn't just John thinking, okay, I'm just going to grow in humility. I'm just going to think more of Jesus than I think of myself. It was the Spirit of God at work in John. We highlighted that earlier. The Spirit of God will be upon him. And what is the work of the Spirit? Let me show you God. Let me show you Christ. Let me point you to the one where there is true life. And so the Spirit is at work in John, pointing, producing a right view of himself, which is lowly and humble, a servant. I'm lower than the lowest of servants. I don't even belong to be a servant. I don't even deserve to be a servant. And the Spirit producing a high and right view of Jesus. The call of the gospel of John. It's no coincidence that John begins his gospel with these passages. It's no coincidence. Lest we be tempted towards man worship. Precious saints, there is none great among us. If you look 
to us pastors to be great, you're going to be sorely disappointed. If you look to us to solve all your problems, you're going to be let down. I want to serve you. I want to care for you. I want to tend to you the best a lowly servant can. But you must look to Christ. There is only one great one among us. And he will never fail you. He will never let you down. He will never fall short of fulfilling his great role of shepherding your heart. John calls us from the beginning of our gospel to look. Look to him. Look to this Savior. Turn your eyes to Him and know Him. Posture your heart. Set your heart to knowing Him. Even the ones the world considers great are low before Him. And so fall into line as humble, happy servants. John calls us before we even see Jesus do one miraculous thing. This is what a witness looks like. They love Jesus. They don't want all the attention for themselves. They want everyone to just look to Jesus over and over again. Don't look at me. You just look at Jesus. Precious saints, I... There are parts of my heart, and maybe you can relate to this. There are parts of my heart that I long to have this heart. I long to live so that others may know Jesus. I, I want to know Jesus deeply. I want to treasure him more. I want to love him more fully like he deserves. I want to wake up with sweet affections for him. I want people to know that he is truly great. But the temptation of my heart that I so often feel is there's a little compartment there that says, but I want to be great too. I want to be recognized too. I want people to see my kids and see them obey and say, man, Phil and Danielle, they're doing something right. I want to do a good job for the glory of Christ, but I also very much want to be recognized at at the business meeting. I want to gather with the men of the church. I want them to see the wisdom of Christ, but I also really want them to think I'm really smart. I want to gather with the ladies of the church. I want them to know the love of Christ, but I also want them to think I'm I'm really good at loving people. You see how easy it is to be tempted. See how easy the compartments of our heart Precious saints, I want to grow in just knowing Christ simply as just a lowly, undeserving servant in whom he so graciously loves and then love him in return and then live so that you may love him so that my neighbors may love him and treasure him. So they would look at my life and say, oh my, that man 
treasures Jesus. And I want that treasure. I so long for us as pastors to live with this heart. And I know Pastor Rob longs for this heart alongside me. We want to live in this way. Humble servants. Lowest of low slaves. Loved by a precious and gracious Savior. And then loving Him in return. Precious saints, if there's anything, if this was, I was thinking about this. I I one time had, I'm sorry. I one time had a a pastor tell me at one point, because I kind of wear myself out. Kind of wear myself out sometimes. And he said, you don't got to, you don't got to do that. You don't, you're going to live to preach another day. But I left that and said, what if I don't? What if I don't live to preach another day? I'm not promised that. Precious, precious saints. Should I never preach to you again? Should I never see your precious faces again? I long that you would have known nothing of me, but that that man loves and treasures Jesus. And that it would, by God's grace, be the burning passion of your heart as well. There are are moments I am tempted. I want to be somebody. I want to be recognized. I want to be known. Precious saints, the spirit at work within me beckons and says, oh, live to know him and know him alone. And it is the sweetest joys you will ever taste. And then live to make him known among everyone else. Church, it is our longing for you It's our longing for going to Nepal. It's our longing for being a part of a family of churches. It's our longing for each and every one of our fellowship groups and your homes and you. That you would live to know Jesus more and more and live to make him known. Brothers and sisters, as we look at who Christ is and what he's done for us through the work of the Spirit. The Lord is growing us in knowing him and making him known. As we look upon who he is and how great and glorious he is. And as we as we see how lowly and undeserving we are dead in our sin. No way to rescue ourselves. Nothing we could have done. And yet we see him, this great and holy and high one who would come from the host of heaven. And come to us and come to me and call me to know him. To come and drink of his living water. To taste and see of how good he is. Who am I that such a great one would call me to know him? As we gaze upon those truths of the gospel over and over and over and over and over again. 
Precious saints, the work of the Spirit, may He grow and may He bloom within us. Beautiful humility and passionate gladness. Humble hearts, yet happy praise.